Due to the graphic nature of this story, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Julia Hessler sat down at the table, smoothing her skirt as the beautiful Kate Bender lit a candle in the dark room. She took a seat, grasped Julia's hands, and began to speak in a whispered voice. When Kate invited Julia to her family's cabin for a seance one spring night in 1871, Julia imagined an uplifting experience. But now, a sense of unease crept up her spine. The small cabin was covered in dirt and grime, and there was a sickening smell coming from the back room. Distracted, Julia scanned the space with her eyes, searching for the source of the stench. She saw a swarm of flies drifting lazily across the wooden floor, and her stomach churned. Julia closed her eyes and tried to focus, but the only thought in her mind was how soon she could leave without offending her host. Something felt very wrong. As her thoughts raced, there was a sudden creak in the floorboards. Startled, her eyes flew open. Standing behind Kate were the rest of the Bender family, John, Ma, and Pa. A glint of candlelight reflected off a blunt metal object in Pa's hands. They all stared at her, hungry, expectant. Terror coursed through Julia, but she was too stunned to move. She looked to Kate for help, but her friend's eyes, usually full of warmth, were now vacant. Everything was perfectly still, except for the sounds of the frontier. Wind whistling around the cabin, the horses tied up outside, and the horrible buzzing of flies growing louder by the second. That's when it dawned on Julia that even if she did scream, there was nobody around for miles to hear it. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. This is Serial Killers, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every episode, we dive into the minds and madness of serial killers. Today, we're not just going to explore the life and crimes of one serial killer. We're examining an entire family of murderers, the treacherous Bloody Benders. I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Richardson. Hi, everyone. You can find episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. In today's episode, we'll meet the mysterious members of the Bender family. We'll explore the town's unease around their new neighbors, especially as people on the nearby Osage Mission Trail start to turn up dead. Next time, we'll watch family members track their missing loved ones directly to the Bender's doorstep, only to end up victims themselves. Then we'll uncover the devious place the family had been hiding bodies all along. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Bottling everything up is never a good idea. It can have some terrible consequences. I mean, think about the subject matter we cover on our show. I wonder how much easier it would be if we normalized talking about negative feelings instead of lashing out when it all builds up. I recently had a session where I faced some things going on in my life I hadn't spoken to anyone about, and when I talked about it with my therapist, I realized how heavy it actually was, and I was able to see it in a different light, and it didn't feel as heavy anymore. When you need to talk, but you want a safe space for that conversation, I highly recommend BetterHelp. 
Even if you haven't experienced major trauma in your life, therapy is excellent for day-to-day positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. So if you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and flexible. It's also easy to get started. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Serial Killers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Serial Killers. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. For hopeful travelers in the 19th century, the American frontier was a landscape of adventure and prosperity but the realities of the Wild West were far more sinister than you might imagine. The sprawling prairies and hungry mountain ranges were one endless stretch of violence, desperation, and ghosts. Many who ventured out chose to travel on the great Osage Trail. This dirt road wove through flat, endless grasslands where you could see for miles. The visibility created a false sense of security. Travelers believed, like most of us do, that if they couldn't see danger, it wasn't there. But that couldn't be further from the truth. On the frontier, it was the invisible threats that were most deadly. Bone-chilling temperatures on a freezing night, a snake slithering through the grass, or the quiet, steady crawl of disease. Convinced of their safety, people often failed to see what was right in front of them, which is exactly how the Bender family thrived. Aside from being a relatively dangerous period in American history, the 1800s were a time when folklore mixed into newspapers as easily as fact. So much of what we know about Kate, John, Ma, and Pa Bender is speculative. First-hand accounts, records from investigations, and letters from victims and their families show us how the Bender's crimes unfolded. But every aspect of their existence is tinged with mystery, even their origins. One October morning in 1870, John Gebhardt and John Bender, known as Pa, rode their wagon into Osage Township, a settlement in southeastern Kansas. The cart stopped outside the town's trading post. John jumped down from the wagon and introduced himself to the trading post owner, Rudolf Brockman. John was a young German, around 25, with brown hair, a mustache, and gray, restless eyes. Meanwhile, Pa sat in the wagon, glowering. He looked around 60, haggard and hunched. He said nothing except to mutter to himself. Rudolph felt strange around John right away. Every few sentences, the man let out a shrill, ear-piercing laugh. 
Maybe a nervous tick, but an unsettling one. Still, he seemed good-natured enough. So when John mentioned he wanted to buy land, Rudolph's business partner, Edward, said he'd help search for a suitable location. John never explained how he and Pa were connected. In fact, he didn't offer any personal information about himself or his traveling companion. But there were always new people coming through, so that wasn't necessarily a strange thing. During their tenure in Osage Township, Rudolph and Edward had met all kinds of settlers trying to leave their past behind, or eager to make their fortune. To encourage westward expansion, the federal government enacted the 1862 Homestead Act, which provided 160 acres of land to just about anyone willing to settle the area. It was an opportunity for a fresh start on the frontier. So long as these newcomers didn't cause trouble, they were welcome. The next day, Edward drove the two men in his wagon, pointing out available claims. They used the Osage Mission Trail, a path that cut through miles of prairie grass, interrupted only by the occasional glimmering river. The trail connected the two popular towns of Fort Scott and Independence, plus dozens of others. Kansans used the road on a daily basis, but it was also the easiest route through the state, making it popular for anyone moving west. Once on the trail, John pointed out land nestled in a wind-battered valley. Bundles of trees suggested the soil had potential and a creek churned nearby. But what John liked the most was the location. It sat directly on the trail. Between weather, wild creatures, and criminals, the path could be a dangerous place. But John told Edward he had a plan to open a grocery store. It could offer a haven for people to restock supplies, get a homemade meal, warm up by the fire, or even stay the night. All for a price, of course. Within the day, John and Pa staked their claim. The benders were moving to Labette. John and Pa spent the rest of 1870 building on their claim. Neighbors offered to assist the two men, but they turned everyone down. It seemed they were too proud to accept help. Or maybe they had something to hide. After digging out a cellar lined with slabs of sandstone, John and Pa assembled the rest of the cabin on top. It was a sparse, simple structure, roughly the size of a large modern living room. The front space contained a few shelves for food, a modest kitchen, and a walnut table with benches. In the back, hidden behind a canvas sheet, a few straw mattresses lay on the ground. And underneath one of the mattresses, disguised among the floorboards, was a trap door. Once construction was complete, John hung a crude sign on the outside that said simply, Groceries. Then he disappeared for a few months and left Pa behind to watch over their new home. During that time, Pa made it clear to visitors that they weren't yet open for business. When the first customer stopped by, he communicated only through grunting and spitting. More often than not, he picked up a hammer and chased visitors off the property. It feels important to point out that Pa's threats weren't out of the ordinary for the time. Labette County was dangerous and there was very little law enforcement. Citizens took justice into their own hands by fighting, stabbing, and shooting one another over land disputes, theft, or sometimes for no reason at all. Although this level of violence might seem shocking by modern standards, people in 19th century America were numbed to brutality. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa's not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. 
During the late 1800s, violence became an almost everyday part of life in North America. From 1861 to 1865, the American Civil War killed an estimated 750,000 people. According to a 2017 study published in Crime, History, and Societies, an adult who lived in Dodge City, Kansas from 1876 to 1885 faced at least a 1 in 61 chance of being murdered. That's about 273 times higher than the odds of being a homicide victim now. In other words, violent death was a part of everyday life, and this had a heavy impact. According to a 2016 study published in the Journal of Abnormal Child Psychology, repeated exposure to violence dampens an emotional response over time. People who witness habitual brutality actually create a pathologic adaptation in which they're less likely to feel distressed about violence. Not only are they numb to it, but they're more likely to be aggressive and violent themselves. So although Pa chasing people from his property with a weapon might seem extreme today, the people of Labette County didn't blink an eye. That meant the benders were able to proceed as they wished. In early spring 1871, John returned with two more family members, Elvira and Kate Bender. Elvira looked about 50 thanks to the deep scowl etched on her face. Glaring at anyone who approached her, she was so unfriendly that most people in Labette County never even learned her name. So assuming she was married to Pa, they mostly just called her Ma. Kate was another story. Around 25 years old, Kate's high cheekbones, silky auburn hair, and mesmerizing eyes made her the talk of the town. Her only imperfection seemed to be a small scar underneath her left eye, but how she got it was a mystery. What wasn't a mystery was Kate's authority over her family. She was a force to be reckoned with. Unlike the others, she spoke in a perfect American accent, which made her stand out. Aside from that, she also represented her family in public and even ordered the others around when guests stopped by. For all intents and purposes, she seemed to run the show. This was odd, especially since women were usually subservient to men at the time. But Kate was unusual for a number of reasons, including her unconventional beliefs. She often spoke with people in town about a movement called free love, in which sex and romance weren't connected to social constructs like marriage. It seemed to attract single men to the cabin in the hopes of bedding the beautiful Kate. However, it also fed rumors about the strange relationship between her and John. John and Kate were extremely physically affectionate, but at the same time, they claimed to be siblings. People wondered if her alternate views allowed her to have a sexual relationship with John, her own brother. Or perhaps they were a married couple and only pretended to be siblings. Either way, it was creepy. But it wasn't just John and Kate. The entire family dynamic was a mystery. Ma and Pa were shut-ins who barely spoke a word. For all anyone really knew about them, they could have been four perfect strangers before they moved into that cabin. Pretty soon, Osage Township had even more questions about the Benders, beyond just their origins. Because although the family had a sign that advertised supplies for sale, there was never much for people to buy. The shelves were always nearly empty. Locals thought it was strange. Aside from anything else, they wondered how the Benders were making any money. Surely they thought when it came to their finances, the family must be in the red. 
They were partly right, but this was a different kind of red, blood red. Coming up, Kate Bender tames men and spirits alike. Have you ever wondered how Thor got his hammer? How Odin stole the mead of poetry? Or how Loki earned his cosmic punishment? This summer, explore the timeless myths of Norse Eddas like you've never heard them before in the new Spotify original from Parcast, Mythology Sagas. Join me Fridays as we travel the nine realms of the World Tree from the glittering halls of Valhalla to the icy reaches of Jotunheim. It's one epic saga spanning 15 chapters, including never-before-heard episodes. And it all leads to the final battle, the apocalyptic war of Ragnarok. Follow Mythology Sagas free and only on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Now back to the story. By the spring of 1871, the unusual Bender family had built a cabin, stable, and small corral just off the Osage Mission Trail in Labette County, Kansas. At first, it seemed like their goal was to just sell groceries to travelers. It would have been an easy way to make cash, but the shelves were often quite bare. Meanwhile, John often left the cabin for days, even weeks at a time. And the locals thought something was off with the family. They weren't sure what. We now know that John spent his time out of state stealing horses and transporting them across the country. It's unclear how he got his start in this line of work, but he worked with his cousins from Texas. So it's possible that John was simply born into an outlaw lifestyle, where he learned to take what he wanted whenever he wanted. And though nobody in town discovered John's secret career as a horse smuggler, the family's darker impulses couldn't be kept hidden forever. That summer, Edward Earn, the same man who'd shown John and Pa their plot of land half a year earlier, asked for a favor. Edward's foster mother and her daughter were emigrating from Germany, and they needed a temporary place to stay. The Benders agreed and welcomed the women enthusiastically. But one day, the family took Edward's foster mother and daughter on a long walk around the area. When they returned to the cabin, the guests' money and jewelry were gone. Furious, the two women questioned Kate. She seemed as shocked as they were and claimed a stranger must have stolen the goods while the cabin was empty. However, the mom and daughter couldn't help but notice that none of the Bender's items were missing. Before they could ask more questions, however, John careened through the front door. He told the group that horse thieves had been spotted nearby, and it wasn't safe for the newcomers to stay so close to the trail. In shock, the women grabbed what was left of their belongings, rushed into John's wagon, and headed to a neighbor's house. Though confused and angry, Edward's family were relieved to be far away from the eerie cabin. 
Days later, Kate spread the word around the community that a stranger had broken in and stolen from the newcomers, and most believed her. But Edward wasn't convinced. He was certain the benders robbed his mother. However, he had no proof, and soon after, he moved his family further west, taking his suspicions with him. If he'd stayed and fought to expose the benders, maybe their story would have ended differently. But unfortunately, with no one questioning them, the family had carte blanche. Theft wasn't the only way the benders swindled people from their money. Kate had started offering her services as a spiritual healer as soon as she arrived in Labette County. She claimed she could speak to the dead and fix ailments by channeling otherworldly energy. Thanks to the mood of the time, she found quick success. During and after the Civil War, American interest in spiritualism spiked. The war had taken so many lives, and people found solace in the possibility of connecting to their loved ones. Of course, at least some of the mediums were faking their abilities to con desperate people out of their money. For instance, a local spiritual healer named Susanna Tyak waved her hands over the sick, and when nothing happened, she blamed them for not believing enough for the energy to work. It's likely that Kate, too, was only pretending, just to separate people from their cash and get them inside the Bender's cabin. Kate's talent for manipulation might relate to undiagnosed psychopathic tendencies. According to Psychopathy, Theory, Research, and Implications for Society, a book in the NATO Science series, psychopaths are interpersonally exploitative, callous, and prone to violating societal rules. Kate definitely violated societal norms. As far as anyone could tell, she was the head of her family, openly preached free love, and worked as a medium. Psychopathic tendencies would also suggest that her infamous charm was likely a front. She could draw people in and talk them into paying for a seance or reading. Though she could relate to people on the surface, her lack of empathy meant she found it easy to exploit them. Regardless of her intent, Kate ran seances in the hotel she worked in, which thrilled the other waitresses and maids. One woman in particular, Julia Hessler, was fascinated by the practice. According to Julia, Kate invited her to a group seance at the Bender cabin in the spring of 1871. Thrilled by the opportunity and flattered by the show of friendship, Julia hitched a ride on a stagecoach to the medium's house. It was several miles away, but she figured she could stay the night and catch another ride home the next day. When she arrived, though, Julia was surprised to find Kate alone. The medium assured her a seance was better with fewer people around. Kate lit a candle and asked Julia to sit across from her at the table. When the ceremony began, Kate spoke in a calm voice, but Julia had trouble focusing. She looked around the darkened cabin. Layers of filth clung to every surface. Dishes were caked with the hardened remains of old food. The shelves were covered in grime. There was also an odd, spoiled smell in the cabin that Julia couldn't shut out. Plus, flies buzzed angrily around the floorboards. The wind outside whistled eerily as Julia tried to shake off the feeling that something was wrong. After a few minutes of quiet, Julia felt a shiver run down her back. She opened her eyes and felt her breath catch. Just behind Kate was the rest of the family, John, Pa, and Ma, standing perfectly still, staring at her in the candlelight. 
In Pa's hand, Julia noticed an object that looked like a hammer. Petrified, she tried to smile at the family. Initially, her mouth wouldn't work. Nothing would work. She was frozen. Then, Kate leaned forwards, as if to grab her. That was all Julia needed to snap out of her fear. She leapt out of her seat and bolted out the door. Julia sprinted into the prairie without looking back, letting the pitch blackness swallow her. Behind her, she heard the distinct sound of gunshots, which propelled her even faster and further into the night. The next morning, Julia made it to the safety of a neighbor's home, having run the entire night. She was covered in dirt, sweat, and scratches from the underbrush, but she was alive. Julia told her neighbors about the encounter, but they didn't seem to care. Kate was so charming and popular that it was almost like they didn't want to believe Julia. Of course, they had no idea that ignoring her warnings would have such dire consequences for anyone else who went inside the Bender homestead. When Irish railroad worker James Feerick saw pamphlets advertising life on the frontier, it seemed like the opportunity he moved to America for. So in the winter of 1871, he kissed his wife Mary and their son goodbye at a Kansas train station. He watched as they got on a locomotive bound for New York and waved from the platform. The plan was that they'd stay with family while James settled their new homestead in Kansas. He was going to miss them, but he was determined to secure a better life for them all. As soon as the train disappeared over the horizon, he took off on his horse toward the Osage Mission Trail. What happened next isn't totally clear, but based on the evidence we have, we can take a guess. Summer months brought deadly floods and fatal lightning strikes to the area. But in the winter, the path was even more dangerous. Even if you avoided the coyotes, nothing compared to a winter night on the prairie, where you could easily freeze to death in your sleep. The best chance for travelers was to find shelter along the way. So when James saw a wooden sign stuck in the ground that read groceries, it must have seemed like a godsend. A cozy cabin called in the distance, candlelight glowing in the windows. But as soon as James stepped through the door, a rancid metallic odor washed over him. Flies floated around, basking in the squalor of the unkempt room. And with so much filth, it was impossible to tell where the smell came from. Still, Kate likely ushered him in with a warm smile that thawed the winter chill. With the fire and smell of coffee brewing, James quickly forgot about the odor. James might have believed the Bender house was a safe haven, offering him protection and respite from the outdoors. He couldn't have been further from the truth, because although we don't know exactly what happened to him, we do know that he entered the Bender family cabin and he never came out. James' wife, Mary, sent him a letter the night she arrived in New York, but she never heard back. A few weeks later, she tried again. Still nothing. Disappearances along the trail weren't as common as theft and assault, but news of a missing traveler wasn't out of the ordinary, so Mary chose not to contact authorities and instead assumed her husband had died on the trail. It was a sad thought, but not terribly unusual. Just part of life on the frontier. It seemed like people turned up dead all the time. Though if anyone was paying close attention, they might have noticed just how many of those people vanished near the Bender's cabin. 
In March 1872, a group of hikers walked near Oswego, a town in Labette County, looking for Native American relics. They stumbled on an abandoned campsite, but they weren't quite as alone as they thought. Hidden beneath a pile of hay, they found a decomposed corpse. The man's lower jaw was missing, and other body parts were scattered around the campsite, likely by foraging animals. It was clear right away that this was no natural death because the haystack was covered in dried blood. After examining the body, the coroner announced the cause of death. The back of the man's skull had been caved in with a blunt object. The examiner also determined the corpse had been at the campsite for a long time. With no identity or clues to go on, the investigation was over before it even began lost in the culture of indifference that was the hallmark of the day. No one thought to look twice at the benders, who were quietly celebrating another job well done. Coming up, we'll tell you the truth about the Bender's grocery store. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Now back to the story. After over a year of living in Labette County, Kansas, the Bender family were a regular topic of discussion in the town. But with people going missing and showing up dead on the Osage Mission Trail, travelers had other things to worry about than local gossip. Rather than risk the dangers of the road, some thought it safer to spend the night in the creepy Bender cabin, but they were wrong. In the summer of 1872, Cherryvale local Jack Reed rode his horse along the Osage Mission Trail after a night of gambling. Like other local men who swooned over Kate Bender, he made sure to stop and see her on his way through. As he neared the house, he called out a greeting. To his surprise, Kate walked out from behind the cabin. Her long hair, usually meticulously piled on her head, dangled in wet tangles around her shoulders. Having just washed her hair, she was dressed only in a thin slip. She told him to come inside, then vanished around the corner. After seeing that, Jack didn't need to be told twice. When he entered the front room, Jack found a group of other travelers at the table. Disappointed at first, he settled in once he recognized the men as gambling buddies. They ate and laughed loudly, and Kate told him to come back the next night. Jack mulled over the invitation on the way to Cherryvale. The thought intrigued him, as did the memory of Kate fresh from bathing. Maybe at last he had a real chance at making love with the most desired woman in Labette County. The next evening, Jack dutifully did as Kate had instructed. 
When he arrived at the cabin, John and Pa were out, and Ma was asleep in the back room. So he and Kate sat down to play cards. Almost immediately, Kate suggested that Jack spend the night. It was just as he'd hoped. But shortly after he had agreed to stay, the pair was startled by a shout and a knock at the door. Two of Jack's friends had recognized his horse outside and stopped to say hello. Jack laughed and greeted them enthusiastically. As they walked into the cabin, though, Kate's sense of hospitality evaporated. She shut down, pouting at Jack and glaring at the guests. Taking the hint, the pair eventually left. And when Jack turned to Kate, there were no more smiles or lingering looks. Instead, she seemed cold, angry. He had no idea what he'd done to upset her, but his attempts to cheer her up didn't work. It was definitely tense and wasn't the first time Kate's emotions seemed to get the better of her. According to a 2018 study published in Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society of London, psychopaths aren't as in control of their emotions as we tend to think. Psychopathy, when combined with aggressive personalities or even other personality disorders, can lead to more frequent and extreme emotional outbursts. This is because empathy allows people to reflect on a situation before they react. So while some with psychopathic tendencies are in near-constant control over their emotions and actions, this isn't always the case. And it seems like Kate, whose behavior could switch from charming to furious within seconds, might have fallen into the latter group. Jack considered going home after Kate's icy mood shift, nervous about what he'd done to make her so upset. But it was too late to journey back that night. Defeated, he went to sleep in the front room, ready to put the whole affair behind him. A few hours later, when it was still dark out, Jack woke to the sound of footsteps outside the cabin, accompanied by Kate's voice. In his days, he thought he heard two men, Pa and John, arguing with her, urgent and hushed. Kate demanded something in a harsh tone. Then Jack heard a disquieting noise. The chilling thud of metal on bone, followed by a horrible, gurgling sound. If he had to guess, it sounded like someone choking on blood. Jack was frozen to the floor. He wanted to get up and investigate, but thought that if he moved, he would die. So he closed his eyes and pretended to be asleep, hoping that he'd live through the night. The next morning, Jack opened his eyes to Kate making coffee acting perfectly normal, her frosty mood gone once more. Excusing himself, he left the Bender cabin as soon as he could. When he got to Independence, he told his friends about the disturbing thwack he heard outside the cabin in the dead of night and the gurgling that sounded like a man's dying gasps. And although they agreed it was strange, they mostly gave Jack a hard time for being so scared. They thought he was dreaming. After all, it sounded more like a nightmare than reality. Besides, the Bender family were just grocers. Why would they kill someone? It's likely that Jack's friends, along with other townsfolk who heard unsavory rumors about the Benders, stayed so calm thanks to a cognitive habit called normalcy bias. According to a 2017 study published in Pharmacy and Therapeutics, normalcy bias makes it hard for people to seriously consider a catastrophe in their own lives, They expect only what is in their realm of normalcy. For the townsfolk of Labette County, the Bender's odd behavior was status quo. 
Entertaining the idea that they might be dangerous was a cognitive challenge, so it was easier to make fun of Jack than believe him. After that, Jack kept his mouth shut and just avoided the Bender cabin. But not everyone had the benefit of his first-hand experience. In September of 1872, William Jones headed back home to Montgomery County after doing construction work on a new schoolhouse in Osage Mission. After the work, he had about $250 on him, which was finally enough money to buy his farm in full. He couldn't wait to tell his wife, Martha. Exhausted from working and traveling for so many miles, William saw a lone cabin glowing warmly just off the trail. A sign advertised groceries for sale, so he decided to stop before it got too dark. What happened to him after that isn't totally clear, but based on records and historian speculation, we can hazard a guess. When William arrived at the cabin, Kate greeted him with a warm smile and offered him a meal. At first, he was taken aback by the bad smell and filth of the cabin, but his hostess was so welcoming, he soon forgot his surroundings. While Kate cooked, John entertained William, asking about his work and family. Perhaps he even asked how much it paid to build a schoolhouse. When William told them how he was planning to spend his earnings, Kate and John exchanged a glance. Casually, Kate noted that it was getting dark outside and it would probably be better for William to spend the night. William felt tension in the room, but he didn't want to offend his hosts. He accepted the offer. But as John let out a string of shrill giggles, he was already beginning to regret it. Kate disappeared behind the canvas sheet as the food cooked over the fire. William heard her whisper to someone and assumed there were more family members in the back room going about their night. Perhaps they'd join for dinner. Finally, the meal was ready. Kate told William exactly where to sit as their guest. Honored, William sat at a chair with his back to the canvas sheet and picked up his fork. From behind him, William heard a floorboard creak. He started to turn around and saw a flash of metal swinging toward his head. But it was too late to do anything about it. The object collided into his skull with a terrifying crunch. William slumped over as Pa stepped out from behind the canvas, his hammer covered in chunks of William's bone. He hit the traveler a few more times to be sure he was dead. Then he turned to Kate, who stepped forward to rifle through William's pockets, taking the $250 he'd been taking home to his family. Ma joined them, and together, the four benders dragged William's body into the back room. John shoved a mattress aside and opened the trap door that led to the cellar. Grunting with effort, the two men held William over the pit. Using a kitchen knife, Kate slit his throat, even though he was almost certainly dead already. Blood spilled out of William and into the basement, which was already stained red from their many past victims. Happy, Kate nodded, and the men dropped the body into the hole, then closed the trapdoor behind them. And just like that, William Jones vanished. Another disappearance along the Great Osage Trail. When William failed to come home, his wife Martha traveled along the trail, trying to turn up any sign of what happened to him. But nobody had a clue. It was as if he'd disappeared into thin air. At least, that's what it felt like at first. 
A month after the disappearance, two young boys were fishing in Big Hill Creek, just east of Independence, where they noticed some rags stuck in the underbrush. They looked like pieces of a woman's dress and were stained dark red. Following the trail of clothes, the brothers stumbled across a man lying face down in the water. They didn't have to get close to know he was dead and ran to get help. When a group of locals returned to pull the body out of the water, they could see that the man had been bludgeoned on the back of his head so viciously that bits of his brain were visible. His throat had also been slit into a red, terrifying grin. Local newspapers ran the story, hoping to identify the victim. Reading the description, Martha Jones knew it was her husband. She stepped into the coroner's office a little later, prepared to make an ID. By then, William's head was in pieces, his throat was cut, and his body bloated from floating in the water. But Martha would have known William anywhere. Finally, she had her confirmation. Her husband had been murdered. But with that mystery solved, it left the distraught widow with another unanswered question. Who on earth killed her husband so brutally, then dumped his body in the creek? She wasn't the only one to ask such a question in the months to come, not by a long shot. Thanks again for tuning in to Serial Killers. We'll be back soon with part two of The Bloody Benders, when the family's treachery is finally exposed to the world. For more information on the Bender family, amongst the many sources we used, we found Hell's Half Acre, The Untold Story of the Benders, a serial killer family on the American frontier, by Susan Jonasis, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Have a killer week. Serial Killers is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Serial Killers was written by Kit Fitzgerald, edited by Ben Caro and Joel Callen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, and researched by Brian Petrus. Serial Killers stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 